You're about to listen to an interview for EWS. Intending to provide educational information from various domains in psychology, physical exercise or motor learning, an experienced professional joins in a conversation with our funnel, assisting EWS mission of building a mindset and methodology that can optimize both sport performance and mental health. Hope you enjoy and for that I leave you with your host Gonçalo Marques. Hello and welcome to another interview for EWS. This time I invited an expert from an odd realm at first sight. It is from poker and we will not enter in a discussion whether it is a sport or an activity. But at EWS we are interested in uniting and learning from other realms. And I consider that poker is very mental and anything that can serve to efficiently work sports or any other performance area like work, it's welcomed. So this time we receive a 62-year-old man that appeared on dozens of other interviews for podcasts and blogs. He has five different books, not only on poker, and he is a man that was a high achiever already, but with some downswings and some inconsistencies down the years, he discovered the mental aspects of the game. He discovered what was affecting some decisions in his poker game. And guess what? Poker is all about decisions. So, among mindfulness and other things that he shares now at EWS to serve any poker player or any other performer, that's another thing. We don't want to close this down to poker. And so, we did our best to convey and transport the knowledge that he gathered from poker to other areas of life, not only the performance ones. We decided to offer two books from this guest, so if you are interested in knowing the terms, just keep listening to the next minute of this intro. So, I believe you will get the sense along this conversation that this guest transmits a lot of powerful information that can raise your game, And well, we went over things like being tiltless, or at least tiltless, grabbing from this concept of tilt from poker to describe the frustration or angry moments, or even anything that can disturb oneself and therefore pulling his game down in quality. We unravel that. The approach of being like a noble warrior while competing, and what respect looks to us. Looking at obstacles, whether in poker or other contexts, as trees on the golf course, and other bunch of metaphors and concise examples are explored, like moving from stealing, a stealing attitude in poker, to stillness. I should also say as a side note that for the first time my microphone had some troubles and for the first time I didn't record a backup, so I tried my best to edit and pull my voice up to match the sound of our guest. And besides that, I think it was a beautiful and engaging conversation for me. And don't forget that if you listen to this and comment down below, you are most likely to win a book from this guest called Dailiness. It is not about poker at all, but it can be applied to poker. It is more about meditation practices and possible effective ways to sustain one or build a habit that one wants. And to grab a chance to win that, you just have to comment about an idea that stuck to you across this interview. Wait, just a useful reminder. 
we know you're investing precious time here. So you can also efficiently work your listening experience by checking the timestamps at the end of this episode show notes. You can click over them to jump directly to the pieces that you find most interesting to your needs and wishes. As for my wish, your review and subscription to EWS Podcast. By doing so, we will be able to offer the listeners more quality content regularly to improve the mental game in sports and work. Until you decide on that, keep enjoying this. And so, after serving in multiple ways, multiple poker players and the poker community in general, both technically and then more profoundly in the mental aspects of the game, this man is nowadays enraptured in embodying and transmitting mindfulness principles to the poker tables and life beyond. Let's lift our heads up, get our back straight to the points, <laughs> little pun intended here, welcoming Tommy Angelo. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm sitting straight. <laughs> As always. A big principle of yours, I, I will get a sense in this conversation and people hearing also. But let's start by talking a little bit about your progress into, into poker um, more concretely. And how did you come across uh, the mental stuff or mindfulness based? And how do you get the sense that that was very important to the, to the game itself? Well, the, the way I got into mindfulness, like a lot of people do, is um, my life had just completely gone to crap. Okay, I, was, I had been playing poker full-time for 15 years. You know, that means like 40, 50 hours a week just playing poker and making a living. And it's a very hard way to make a living. There's a great deal of pain involved. But there's also a tremendous amount of mental discipline that's required to be patient and, and to, uh, you know, maintain your focus and your ability to play really good poker while you're losing all your money, you know, to people you don't like. It's, it's an extremely stressful situation. So all poker players kind of have an advantage because we're, we're forced into this situation where we have to deal with our own mind. You know, we're constantly struggling against, oh man, if I, if I get angry, I'm going to lose money. So, so we're financially motivated to come and, you know, to learn how to control our emotions. So I, I struggled the hard way with no help, basically, for many years. And then one thing led to another. I moved to California. I started dating people who did yoga. I started learning about yoga and meditation. And then I hit rock bottom in 2003. And I was like, I got to turn my life around. And that's when I started doing yoga and meditation. And as soon as I started doing it, I realized I have to do this every day. I, I, this is my salvation. I knew, I, you know, because I was already 45 years old and I'd already been through so much crap. I was like, wow, if I just do this practice every day and get really good at it and get better at it, everything's going to be fine. And so on August 18th, 2003, I quit drinking and I started meditating every day and I haven't missed a day since. 17 years. And so what happened was that transformed my poker game rather dramatically as one might expect all of a sudden instead of going insane all the time i was learning how to be really stable very very grounded while i was playing so i was already a very good player and that just elevated my game way up 
this was in 2003. So, so then in the oh, meanwhile, sorry. Uh, yeah, no. Up to that point, you yeah. considered yourself a good player. Oh, yes. Speaking, you dominated, you understood well the game. And then with that uh, period in your life and getting mm -hmm. familiar with those uh, concepts and things, um, you felt a leap forward. Yes. I'm glad you asked for clarification on that. Yes, I was already an expert poker player then. But my problem, like with most, most really good players, was consistency. Okay, so if I were to play my A game all the time, I was going to make, let's say, whatever, 100,000 a year. But because I, I played my B game and C game some amount of the time, and my C game sometimes was like completely self-destructive, right? My, I was making, let's say, 50,000 a year. You know, and these numbers are somewhat accurate. In other words, my tilt, as we call it in poker, was costing me a lot of money. And so it was a matter of consistency. So the way I teach people is like you need to you need to improve your poker game, and this is true for everything really, from the top up and the bottom up. You want to keep getting your A game better, right? Better at throwing darts or whatever, but then at the same time you have to work on your consistency so that you're playing the A game most of the time. So what happened when I started meditating was I got more consistent. Mm -hmm. I was I was playing my A game more often. I was very much less likely to go off the rails. I was more likely to quit when I started feeling bad instead of just playing all night and blowing all my money. Just all kinds of weeks. Recovering on revenge or something. Yeah, all, oh, that's... That, disturbed that will uh, affect our decisions in the tables, right? Totally. And, and, and the biggest change that made all this possible wasn't just the focus that comes from my meditation. It's my attitude toward my opponents. So I started taking a much less adversarial role, uh, attitude toward my opponents. Instead of thinking them as my opponents who I need to defeat, I just, I started thinking them as like trees on the golf course, right? They're just obstacles in the way of my goal. And, and so I, I, I learned how to stop getting angry with my opponents and getting frustrated with my opponents. And that was what really stabilized me tremendously. And now I've gone all the way to the other end because I've immersed myself in Buddhist teachings and studying it all. And I've been practicing all this time. And now I'm all the way to the other end. I see all of my opponents as my brothers and sisters and I love them all deeply, no matter what they do or say or think. And that's why I'm at peace at the poker table now. It's been a 17-year journey. Yeah, and I believe it's a really hard thing to do for many uh, players and sportsmen in other contexts, I guess, to mm -hmm. to to look at opponents that way, because we want yeah. to defeat them. And uh, right. I'm getting from your words that you became a more composed and balanced player. Oh yeah, I don't. I'm unflappable at the table. Absolutely unflat. There's absolutely nothing that can happen there that can hurt me emotionally. Um, the idea of competing against yourself rather than the opponents, I think that's a strong idea in all sports, right? But like golf, I think is the best example of that. So if you're out playing with somebody, you know, if your average score is 80 and, and you shoot a 75, but the other guy shoots a 74, you could say, well, he beat me, but I shot my best round, right? You know, it's the internal. Is that one of the things you teach and, and work on? Like, does that apply to like, you know, team sports, like soccer and things? I mean, 
Yeah, of course. It's a, it's a major thing in our area of sports psychology to to be more uh, mastery oriented, to compare ourselves to ourselves, not so many, not so much uh, with others, uh, because that can bring frustration, that can bring the, that emotional disturbance that we are starting to talk about here. So I guess it's a more um, consistent and sustainable way to look at our progress in any sports. Mm -hmm. I was always fascinated uh, growing up. Are you, uh, are you very familiar with American football? Uh, not so a little much. bit. Well, it's the same thing. So growing up, you know, let's say that our team, the team I'm rooting for, something terrible happened, you know, interception or whatever. I know that there's similar things in every sport, right? Mm -hmm. And the coach, our head coach would look like Everything was fine. He was just okay. He's not upset. And in my mind, this was when I was a kid, like 15, I thought it was an act. I thought the coach was just like putting on a show. He has to act like he's not upset, but inside he's just as upset as all the fans, right? Mm -hmm. And now I come to realize, no, go ahead. Yeah, you just reminded me of a great image that stood to me a lot. Um, I, I guess it was Coach Brad Stevens, but I'm not wanting to make a mistake of that but on a video i saw uh, a college basketball coach in the mm -hmm. last seconds of a match where his team needed to score to draw or to win they were also uh, almost tied and mm -hmm. the team fails and last seconds you lost the possession probably and he's so composed he looks attentively looks at the bench uh, launches a player and then the team can recover in the next play and still score it's yeah. like you were saying instead of uh, focusing on something that was disturbing for sure yeah but uh, we have that capability of reinterpreting that and still going ahead with what's more controllable in the way for what? yeah with what happens next well what you just heard was something probably easy to understand but to assimilate this, or put it into practice, is a harder task for sure. At EWS we aim to translate the theory and mental principles into practice the best way possible. But it all comes down to you. Take a moment to really reflect. Is this good for me? What can I do today to implement it? Again, the keyword, practice. How can you translate this into practice? Practice it and go ahead. Keep enjoying the process of efficiently working sports. Right? I mean, that, that's what I learned is like, that guy doesn't really have time to be upset. He's busy. He's got to get the next play going, in a sense, right? And, and it's a so, hard thing to do internally. It is. It is. But that's what we're, that's what we're trying to do. And, it, and poker is really great at that because you know, you, you sit there and wait, you have to be very patient, right? You wait for a good hand and then you get some good cards and then a whole bunch of money goes in and you're way ahead and then the guy hits, you know, a four or whatever and you lose this $2,000 pot. And then at that moment, you need to be totally focused on the next hand and ready to play, right? And if you're in the, in, in the, in the back, if you're living in the past, it's gonna cost you money. You know, at least, at least in uh, 
in a in a non-professional sports arena, all you lose is the game, <laughs> or maybe some pride. I think that's what makes poker so special is that you actually lose money. You know, you're highly motivated at every single second. <clears throat> and it's like uh, being in a performance zone because in poker tables we have the we have some slow moments, we have some pauses, we have yeah. some hands that we fold, and we are not participating in the in the play. So those times are really open to get people distracted or replaying yeah. constantly some bad beats, some previous hands and not staying in the present will be yeah. maybe a first step to step more out of the game or of where our focus should be. Well, I have some things I do to, to come back into focus. You're right. There's, a, you know, there's big gaps that make it hard, like good darts too. You have gaps, you have to wait, right? But, but what I do is very similar to what athletes do, like uh, baseball pitchers, uh, tennis players, which is one conscious exhale right before they throw whatever it is they're going to throw, right? So you watch every American baseball pitcher, you know, they're, they're on the mound, <sighs> and then they throw. Or like with darts, you know, when I'm playing darts now, I do that. I stand consciously straight, exhale. Oh, it's like it's, it goes all the way back to archery, you know, Zen and the art of archery, that the, the moment that you let go is at the end of the exhale. And the reason is, one of the physiological reasons is that is the only moment that we are, that all of our muscles are still. Because the diaphragm is pumping up and down, it's a muscle and tendon, and the only moment that it's relaxed is at the end of the exhale. So the only moment that your body can ever be completely untense of any muscle, anything, is at the end of exhale. So it makes common sense that that would be the moment when you let the arrow go. So I do that before every poker hand. I sit up straight and I have a conscious exhale, almost just like an athlete would do, right? But what it does by, is, is, is it's just a way of clearing away whatever noise might have crept in of watching a TV show or a text or whatever it could be, right? Just clears that away. I'm sure that's what a, you, you coach a lot of people to do, right? Before they act, right? Yeah, breathing is such a critical element. And uh, that uh, piece is, is very great. Uh, I wasn't uh, thinking about that in a hand of poker, but it makes a lot of sense. And uh, you just reminded me uh, of another thing that I got from your words uh, elsewhere. Um, that it kind of is coming from some failed attempts to steal others, to steal uh, the blinds or uh, to uh -huh. grab a pot uh, somehow, to stealing yourself. Because oh! On those, on those failed attempts, you, yes. get, you get frustration or something. And, right. Um, yeah. Talk to steal you. yourself, S-T-E-E-L. To, to yeah. steal, uh, S-T-I-L-L. Oh, still, still, yes, still yourself, yes. I thought you meant steal yourself, which is a phrase in English to mean make yourself hard like steel. Okay, you mean yeah, steal yourself like S-T-I-L-L, yes. Yeah, exactly. So you're saying when, you're, when you notice you're frustrated, that's the time to just become still. Yeah. yeah. Some ideas into that, that breathing uh, thing is one of them, and uh, you got a couple others, right? Yeah, uh, well, these come straight from formal meditation practice as is taught by Buddhist monks, which is there are two 
things that define meditation, basically posture and mindful breathing. Okay, and posture in this case means intentionally making your back straight. And it doesn't matter whether you're lying down or sitting or walking or standing. It's the, the arrangement of the lower vertebrae in your back and your hips. You know, you make that straight and several things happen. One, the act of doing it at all means that you are mindful, right? It means that for that split second, you were not lost in the past or the future. You made a conscious decision to sit up straight. And then what happens is the tubes, your bronchial tubes, are perfectly positioned. Like if you take a pipe and bend it, you get some amount of constriction. So the only way to fully oxygenate your body optimally is if your, your bronchial tubes and everything is straight. That's why you, when you see meditators, they don't sit with their head like this. Their heads dip down just a teeny bit because that is the alignment that has the back perfectly straight has all the tubes straight. Did you know that in just 8 seconds you can effortlessly help both EWS growth and homeless people? That's right. For that, just leave a review for our podcast in Podchaser and 25 cents are automatically donated to Meals on Wheels, an association that directly supports senior people in isolation and with hunger. Check that out on the show notes and keep enjoying this episode. So anytime, anywhere, it can be, and you can train for this just when you're walking down the street. And, and training is the essential word to all meditation practice. You train just like in, in, in sports, right? American football players or basketball players, they do all these drills that they never do during the, during the event, like tire drills and all this. You know, musicians play scales, but they don't ever play scales during a concert, right? The same is true with meditation. You practice meditation. You do all sorts of things that you would never do in regular life. Concentration exercises, reminding yourself to stand up straight, sit up straight while you're doing the dishes, while you're brushing your teeth. You do all these things during the day, and that's training. You get, you get three benefits every time you do that. You get the immediate benefit of feeling a little bit better because you've, you've cleared your mind. You get the benefit of the actual training. And then you get the extra benefit of knowing that you're doing well for yourself. You're really improving yourself, right? But you do all that training so that when you're in the competition, when it's your, you're about to throw the dart, you're, it's about to play a poker hand, you know how to bring up the, the posture and the breathing. You can summon it up. This, it's like a magic, like almost like a, a superpower sometimes. The effect it can have where you can be like mopey and despondent and depressed but because in the competition, but because you've trained, you're like, huh, I'm going to sit up straight. I'm going to be grateful. I'm going to take a mindful breath. And because you've done this a thousand times, it has a big effect. Like somebody's never done this. It's not going to do anything. You have to train just like with music or anything else. And then when it's time to perform, bam, out it comes. And consistently over a period of time, that is significant because, uh, yeah, this brings up two things uh, let me try to convey those uh, the first is that it's trainable and you mentioned that it's important to look at this as trainable because many times we look at this as uh, some tool or either we have it or we don't and uh, mm -hmm. it's like the muscle metaphor the more you train the more it grows the more you can lift heavier things the more you can perform new things and that uh, in another bunch of ways in 
some sports, it can be also truth. Mm -hmm. And another thing that is more um, like a menace, I guess, it's to um, look at this as the thing that will save us and that will bring us inevitably better results. But um, it's, I guess it's dangerous to have that attitude, that expectation of this yeah. being the thing that will get us more successful because yeah. it's a thing to improve concentration, improve stillness, uh, getting ourselves back into the moment, focus on the next hand, focus on the next play, whatever sport. Right. And um, yeah, it's a way to deal with things. It's an attitude to the sport itself and to life and not so much focused on the results. Right. Absolutely. Opinion. Yeah. If you go into it thinking, uh, I'm going to meditate, you know, for 10 minutes a day and all of a sudden my life is going to be better and I'm going to be rich and successful. Yeah, that's that's not it. You just you just treat the meditation as as the project, you know, like kind of in itself and then just let everything. But it is true that if somebody really does apply themselves hard, they can't expect, you know, some good improvements to happen. I love the phrase, uh, a rising tide raise all, raises all boats. Rising tide raises all boats. And that's what this is. If, if somebody really starts a, a dedicated meditation practice, we might talk about what that looks like, um, that, that everything will get better. You know, their relationship with their parents will get better. Their, their ability to throw darts will get better. It's like everything just kind of comes up and you notice that. That's, that's why it, you know, there's a bootstrapping element. It's hard to get through the first few weeks of like seriously dedicated effort to get to where it's kind of fun and enjoyable, right? But if somebody can get through that, that drudgery of the work at the beginning, then you see the payoff. Once somebody starts seeing the payoff, they're like, okay, this is an argument I've had five times with my sister, you know, but the sixth time she brings it up, all of a sudden I'm not ready to argue with her. Why is that? I'm lighter now. I'm better now. I'm feeling better. So you do get results after you know a month or so, and then hopefully that in itself is enough to encourage someone to keep going. Yeah, or maybe in that example with a hypothetical sister or whoever that we may have a tendency for conflict, right? Maybe yeah. on that sixth time that you were talking, uh, it can be a possibility to feel lighter to not be so much inclined to engage with it but it also can be can appear a tendency to engage in it in a more uh, productive way not, uh, yeah uh, yeah and, uh, right stuff. right yeah. exactly and that's where you know this is where the spiritual and I use that word secularly you know that's it, in California we use that word it doesn't mean you believe in God necessarily but it does it, it does mean that you are trying to improve yourself to become more compassionate. It, it, that's part of what it means, right? And so through a meditation practice and through reading how to ch change yourself in this way, that sixth conversation, you're right, you still talk about whatever the, the problem was, but because you're feeling more generous and more open and, and lighthearted toward your sister at that moment, the words don't come out harshly. You know, they just don't. That's that's, and then you walk away from that conversation. You're like, wow, something's different now. I like it. <laughs> and let's get back to poker more concretely. Okay. Uh, with a thing that um, 
you speaking about it came to my mind that you say you said you've said on another occasion that mental game is more for intermediate to beginner players and i am absolutely sure that you didn't say that with a um, uh, cocky kind of tone because the more experienced players and the more consistent winners that we were talking about maybe they don't need this uh, that much because mental game in poker is such an essential piece to to be consistent on the top to not uh -huh. be affected by tilts and we will go into that more specifically but yeah just this this thing of uh, mastering these mental aspects that is the groundwork for many other elements of any game any sports can thrive yeah, yeah. totally and uh, that's just a comment. And uh, adding on that, um, one can feel that on poker tables or any other circumstances on other sports, um, there are emotions that can be seen at first sight as uh, unpleasant and as disturbing for having our A game. Yeah. And uh, it's just an opportunity to deal with them, to comprehend them in a more uh, profound and productive way so that it doesn't affect us and po in poker one can be in touch with resentment with feelings of revenge of getting back in uh, onto someone and uh, yeah many other aspects that uh, i could go on maybe you have some comments on that <laughs> well those are you know revenge envy anger you know these are the uh it's almost like mental afflictions that we all suffer from to different degrees at different different amounts you know and so the um, to undo any of that the first step is, is awareness self-awareness you know somebody has to say okay I, I wish I didn't get angry as often you know what can we do about it um, you know it's kind of funny some guys will write to me and they're like, okay, well, I've got these great anger issues. I've got these tilt issues. You know, can you fix this? And I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, you're talking about the most deep-seated parts of humanity that have evolved over millions of years. That's part of the, the whole frustration, this whole thing. It's like, it seems like the awareness of the problem should be enough. You know to fix it right it's like if there's something wrong with our car it's like okay it's the alternator okay now we know what's wrong with it we can fix it right okay well you know why don't why do you break up with all your girlfriends well it's because i you know i get angry and i piss them off okay you know what the problem is but you can't fix it i mean these mental things are so huge i know i kind of diverted from wherever you started yeah, but that's, that touches on uh, aspects uh, for example of uh, clinical psychology uh, psychotherapy can be a good uh, uh, thing to, mm -hmm. to engage in to because the next question in that chain of of thinking you are having is uh, why you are you getting angry with uh, x and y and uh, yeah amplify our awareness of the of what's provoking that and uh, opening oneself to the chance of changing something in himself herself yeah well there's 
one of the phrases I use is band-aids and cures. You know, you can say, okay, I'm angry because um, I'm not making enough money or whatever, you know, unhappy, you know. But then, then, then the person starts making the amount of money they wanted to make, but they're not any happier. You know, it's, there's, it's like there's this unfillable hole. And so anytime we think that we can, um, like, get rid of an emotional problem materially, you know, by changing something in the material world, that can give a temporary relief of that little thing, but it won't do anything to get rid of the seeds of anger that are in there. You know, they'll get watered again by something else, right? So, so you look at these surface things as like, meters and like gauges to see what your progress is. But in the meantime, I really think that the, the only long range way to make any, any permanent change in terms of coming to control with our emotions or just watering the ones that we like, you know, watering the, the emotions that we want to have more of, love, compassion, gratitude, and not water the emotions that create damage and harm Okay, this is the spiritual path of slow, slow progress. So, and that's why you have, it could be, pardon me? That's why you have uh, that concept of reducing unhappiness, like of a right. of yours. Because right. from there we can improve any sorts of uh, things in that material world, in performance, um, as well as we are talking about our well-being. Go ahead mm -hmm. with yeah. a bunch of ideas in that reducing unhappiness. Yeah, I, and I like the phrase reducing unhappiness rather than increasing happiness because happiness is a um, very vague phrase. You know, a lot of times when we think of happiness, we think in terms of, you know, physical satisfaction, okay, which is definitely a form of, sat of happiness. But, but it's a lot easier to define unhappiness, okay? And, and, um, and it, it's also very subtle because it's very easy to say, okay, anger is unhappiness, you know, frustration is unhappiness, but it's even more subtle. Boredom, you know, is a form of unhappiness. Just boredom itself. Just the idea of sitting there and, and feeling like, oh, so, something needs to happen. Something has to change. This isn't good enough. That's, that's the basic curse that all humans have. It's like no matter what is going on, it's really, really rare that we can just sit and say, this is good enough. I don't need to change a thing. Everything's fine. I'm content. You know, and it's like I, I look for like little little segments of that in my day, just periods where I just feel like, OK, I don't need to change anything. Right. Even if something screwed up, that's the whole thing. Right. We're just so drawn to want to change everything and fix everything. Um, I have one thing, I know you've got some things. One thing I want to make sure I wanted to bring up is the idea of concentration exercises. What you are talking uh, of uh, our your day to day and looking for things. Uh, yeah, concentration exercise, some mundane things that you come up to. I'm right, right. I love it. So, and the, you could think of these as mindful as mindfulness training or concentration exercise. The thing I want to point out is that doing, you know, doing word games and puzzles and and mental gymnastics is not concentration exercise. Concentration exercise is just the opposite. Okay, it's, it's for example, just staring at a wall, sitting still and staring at a wall, okay? Or you're walking down the street and 
you know, there's a sign up ahead and you just decide, I'm going to just gaze at that sign until I get there and see if you can do it. These are concentration exercises. And um, let's say you're brushing your teeth and you decide to do it left-handed. That's a great, doing, doing anything left-handed is a concentration exercise. And what that means is you are forcing yourself to pay attention to what you're doing, period right at this moment and then what happens is if thoughts come in about something else then you just like okay I'm aware that I'm thinking about that now I'm going to go back to brushing my teeth go ahead mm -hmm. that, that was it yeah because uh, th those exercises are somewhat harder than we previously think about right And it's also, this is where it's like, a lot of this stuff is also like uh, playing musical instruments in, the, in that you can read about how to play guitar for 10 years, but it won't matter until you actually pick up a guitar, right? You know, somebody can hear us talking about this thing, and this stuff, and it's like, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it would probably work. But how many people are going to actually try to brush their teeth left-handed? You know, it takes, it takes a real effort. It takes a real discipline to make this stuff go. There are many things that you can come up to uh, with that. Uh, right, make up your own. Example, and yeah, you can make it a game with yourself. It mm -hmm. might seem uh, weird, but uh, it's yeah. something that is helping you on uh, on another fields. Maybe you don't get that sense, but probably it is very much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And another thing that you also uh, that we are worth touching upon is tilt you you have your personalized program uh, of tiltless mm -hmm. i love uh, when i read it in your book elements of poker um, that you come up with the, that word and you loved it uh, because you saw uh, it as two words and me also and then you wrote just uh, just below that um, if If no one is tiltless, then everyone can tilt less. And let me point to the definition of tilt, uh, yeah. before, because it comes from the game of pinball. And mm -hmm. in pinball, when one gets frustrated, when one gets angry with some unlucky where the ball goes right between the paddles, for example, and uh, or tries to uh, shook the machine so that he gets more points, And if one does too much of that, the machine, the game gets tilted and you cannot play. You cannot move those paddles to, to kick the ball. And that happens right. in poker. Yeah, poker uses that word when one gets angry or tilted with yeah. bits or whatever. So yeah, tell me a little bit more about yeah. why you chose the name. Um, well, uh, And when the pinball machine does that, you know, a big sign goes up and says, tilt, 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 right? So poker, one of the great things about poker is the lexicon. I mean, the words in poker, they're just so gutsy. And this word tilt in poker is like the perfect word. Um, and yeah, tiltless, I mean, I, I don't know. I just came upon that word, thought of that word. I just like that, that word. Um, now, I'm going to tell you a little bit of the history, the definition of the word tilt in poker, okay? Originally, it meant emotional tilt, obvious tilt. Like, this is back before the, even professional poker was such a huge thing, like way back, right? It was very common to have 
people being really angry and upset. And, and people would even talk about themselves. Oh, yeah, I was on tilt last night, right? And it was emotional. It meant that person was playing really bad, okay? Well, there's different levels of tilt. There's many, many levels of tilt. Somebody could have, and this has been talked about, written about, like smoldering tilt. You can have a guy who looks fine on the outside. He's very composed, but inside he's really, really angry. And he doesn't make super huge mistakes, but he's making all kinds of little mistakes and losing money. It's a form of tilt, right? So after witnessing in all this for many years, when I was writing the book and, and I had already been coaching people, I realized there's so many different kinds of tilt. It's kind of an injustice to just have that one word. It needs to be broken down. And so as a course of doing that and coaching guys, I, I just started thinking in terms of tilt as being, instead of thinking of turn, tilt as the really bad, is look at like, okay, what's somebody's A game? Anything that's not their A game, let's call that tilt. Any deviation, right? So if you've got some guy who is, his earn rate is $100 an hour when he's playing perfectly, and he's texting with his wife and he's really upset because their kid was messed up at school or whatever, and so he's really distracted for 15 minutes. And during that time, he makes a mistake. Okay, we're gonna call that tilt. This was, this was how I kind of redefined tilt in Elements of Poker. And since then, it's kind of caught on. You hear people now in poker talking about different kinds of tilt, bankroll tilt, you know, fatigue tilt, instead of just one kind of tilt. And then the idea that, and this is what relates to sports, if, you, if anybody wants to use the word tilt mm -hmm. in this way, it would mean any time they're not performing their best. Okay, which is very easy, easier to define. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're emotionally completely unglued at the, at the end of your rope. That would be extreme. Um, so it's just a way of focusing in on, am I doing my best or not? You know, or am I tilted? Am I a little bit off my A game? Yeah, so good. And um, that brings us back to, because our point here is to reduce those moments, reduce the, the elements that can bring us more tilt. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the work you do, the the mission I I have with the EWS is to get people from first to get aware of those moments because we, mm -hmm. we are not aware, we don't know where to pick on to improve anyway. So we get from being oblivion to be attuned. We get mm -hmm. from being tilted to being more sane, let's say. Yeah. More prepared to, to play at our A game. At least we are on the road to it. And uh, getting from more complaining to be more graceful. And this brings yeah. back to mindfulness, to be compassionate, to be, to have gratitude. Yeah. Did you say complaining? Yeah, moving from complaining with yeah, yeah, hands totally. Assholes, players, yeah. Right. I think complain. There are a lot of key words, and I think complaining is a big one. Where we that's something we can catch ourselves doing about anything, right? Complaining about our food or whatever. You know, and anybody that is living in our society with all the bounty we have, uh, I I tell myself it's like I'm just not allowed to complain. Really, right? I mean, so what if my 
toast is burned or whatever, you know. But I think letting go of complaining is a big part of all of uh, import, uh, um, performance enhancement, right? Witnessing yourself complaining is like, oh, I don't need to do that. And then gratitude. You mentioned gratitude. Is that part of your teaching and your, your own stability um, matrix? Oh, are you asking me? Yeah, I'm interviewing yes. you. I have here near my PC this, uh, I call it my totem of gratitude. It's a seashell. Uh -huh. Anytime I see it or touch it, I say to myself and feel the gratitude. I love it. Thing I have in my life. Um, and yeah, uh, for, for players that can be also inserted uh, somehow. Maybe we are in a trouble moment like we are, like we are right now. Yeah. COVID situation, competitions are stopped. But look at the things that you can be great. Great. Yeah, that's huge. I have a little thing here too. I have different things, but this is just a little, uh, it's a little metal thing with a sitting guy and on the back it says, breathe but but the whole idea is that we have something sitting here you and I do it's a conscious attempt to bring ourselves back to a better state of mind when we've drifted right that's what your seashell is for right you know good stuff <clears throat> yeah and, the, and this touches uh, uh, this touches on any uh, on a bunch of things that we were talking on uh, comparing ourselves to to ourselves mainly and focusing on what's controllable instead of what's external mm. and uncontrollable. And you said another thing that touches in this that I love that it's not because the outcome of a hand in this case of poker, it's not because of the outcome didn't go well that we have to assume that there was something wrong with our play, with our mm. strategy or yeah. with us because that's that would be be even a worse assumption to make so yeah there are times of uncertainty uh, and where we have to give merit to the opponent right reconsider replay something analyze yeah. but uh, don't be so critical of yourself that we, you get uh, that heaviness yeah yeah that's a big part of it and 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 also um in a way, even not even criticizing your opponents, it's, um, it's so, it, we always want to blame, you know, we have a natural instinct to blame things. If something doesn't go the way we want it to, we either have to blame ourselves or blame the opponent, right? And blame is another one of those words. It's like, uh, we just don't have to do that. <laughs> you know, just because something went wrong, doesn't mean you have to blame it on somebody. Just because something went well doesn't mean you have to, like, give yourself great praise for it. You know, you just make your play. Um, I, I, you know, one of the things I've always been fascinated by, like in books and movies, is when they show the um, uh, the martial art guys. You know, karate and all that, and and that attitude, the warrior attitude of respect it's like you know yeah they're trying to kick the shit out of each other but you don't really get the sense that they're angry with each other you know i mean this was when i was growing up i was always fascinated by that right and 
but and then when I got into meditation more and I really started learning more like the samurai the whole history of how that happened is like incredible but but the the idea of going into a competition and having the competition be only with ourselves and and respecting the opponents as opponents even if you don't like them as people you know this is another thing that has really helped me with poker it's like I used to get so angry you know at people because they were just scumbags or they were behaving poorly right and now it's like you know what I need all these poker players to be here or there wouldn't even be a poker game yeah we're all working together that I think in the same line thinking about that if there was not another team uh, on the other yeah. side of field of soccer we couldn't play and if we don't have uh, a strange or out of the boundaries play from another poker player we wouldn't be so attuned to the to the um, intricacies of the game so poker is complex is because of that and we can look at those things not with blaming and frustration and then right it, right it's an opportunity to learn uh, yeah and then it also the the great thing about everything we're talking about is everything we're talking about makes us uh, um, less unhappy <laughs> inside right but then it's almost like inadvertently it makes us better competitors you know it's almost like if you start out like we talked about earlier if the goal is simply to run faster or whatever well yeah but if you start with the internal stuff and then and then it shows up so like let's say you're in a competition um, I like the the um, what all of this does is it lets us rise above the fray of emotion but uh, of even um, the like a poker there's like a level of discourse of small-mindedness that goes on and you can just like sit above it and I guess back to like soccer or whatever like let's say that your opponents don't feel that way about all of us being in a brotherhood together you know they're like they're full of anger they're full of bitterness right but then when they play against you that anger and bitterness that they're used to throwing out there is like a weapon almost that hurts the opponents and get it's like it bounces off it's like your Teflon it just slides off right and so not only you're protected emotionally from that stuff coming from them it, it's going to actually frustrate them even more because you get solid right? well but you they you don't come down to their level you don't come down to their level right and that makes you more feared right people are very afraid of me at the poker table because no matter what happens I don't I don't flinch no matter what and they're like what the hell there nothing's gonna damage this guy so let's say you're playing against an athlete on the field and he's like that you knock him down he gets back up smiling you call him an asshole and he just smiles at you or whatever it's like how do you beat this guy right so to me that's like the ideal warrior the ideal athlete is the person who is so above the fray of petty discourse petty emotion they're just like boom you know the New England Patriots the football team are you familiar with that you know they have a love hate everybody that loves them or hates them but their coach is the most dedicated I mean there's no humor no nothing it's all work all the time and it's like man that's you know to me that's the that's ideal the yeah the ideal warrior mindset so good.
uh, <laughs> what can I pick more on this? We've traveled with in so many <laughs> things. Uh, maybe yes, I am recalling my moments of playing some video games, and uh, this applies to any sports, I guess, and to poker. And in poker, it's very hard to be attuned to this. But those moments where I, for example, playing uh, FIFA, the soccer game, the video game, uh, the opponent got so lucky. It was like a glitch of the game and I could, I have all the reasons I, and I am right to blame the, the opponent, the luck, the game, whatever. But let's step back and look for the things that could have been done to limit that occurrence. Mm -hmm. In advance, to look at things that we can adjust to or improve to, for that to happen less. And uh, when you were right, when you do, did the play everything right, uh, let's accept that it's part of the variance of the game. Mm -hmm. It's also involved whether we want it or not, so we can be more at peace with ourselves. What do you think? Yeah. Um, um, right. Before, look at our controllables. Yeah, absolutely. Controllables is huge. Yes. Now, when you say controllables, I don't, maybe you're thinking about the strategy of the game or whatever. But when I hear controllables, and I go, I coach guys on this all the time. Like they'll write to me, they'll say, "Okay, I'm playing a big poker tournament tomorrow. You know, it's going to be a 12-hour event. How do I get ready?" And I say the same thing to them every single time. Work on the things you can control: your food and your sleep. It's like the two most important things right, that are going to make the difference 10 hours into the competition or three hours into the football game or whatever, right? And so um, I don't know if that's where you were going with it, but to me, it, the physical stuff and the mental health stuff, those are the things we can truly, truly control. And then when we're in the competition, then that's the, that's the art form, right? That's almost like performance art, you know? So when you when you said the word controllables controllables just now, were you thinking about things at the table or or yeah, what? Yeah, I, I was focusing more at the moment on the table on the play, for example. Like, what could you have done with the strategy different to yes. keep that from happening? Yes, that has to happen too. Likewise, in sports, you got to work on the details of the strategy for sure, but then you work on the food, you know, and sleep and physical maintenance so that you can perform, so right? But in, in poker, it, it, it's um, not so much now, a lot of more people are into it, but the whole, just the whole idea of thinking of yourself, thinking of it as an athletic event, where you need to have your mind and body in shape, that in itself is kind of a relatively new thing in the poker world. Um, been around in sports forever, but, uh, you know, Poker really is an athletic event, especially if you're playing a long tournament. You know, a lot of times, you, you know, let's say it comes down to the end and there's 10 guys at the final table. They, just like in sports, they probably all have very similar skill levels, right? So it really comes down to training and endurance and, and who can stay tough right to the end. Um, hey, listen, I have one other topic I want to bring up, which is dailiness. Just the idea of a daily practice of anything. Um, the idea of, da of dailiness is, is that if there's something you want to learn how to do or there's something you're already doing that you want to get better at, 
that if you do it absolutely every single day without ever skipping a day, that stuff will happen, okay? Now this doesn't mean you have to train super hard every day, or whatever it is, but the idea of never missing a day, the, the power of it is, is this. Now the assumption is this is something you wanna do, okay? So let's say you wanna get in better shape or you wanna learn a musical instrument. What happens with adults is, you know, They'll go to the gym three times a week for five months and then they go on a vacation or they get sick or whatever and they stop going for a week. And then they don't go another week and they don't go another week. And we've all been through these cycles to some point where we have some good discipline going on and then it stops for whatever reason, right? And it's really hard to get it back going. And during the interim time, we're beating ourselves up for not going to the gym or whatever, right? Well, I've taught a lot of adults musical instruments and, and they, Almost none of them can do it because they start out all excited. Oh yeah, I'm gonna practice every day. But then they skip a day, skip a couple days, and it just falls away, right? Well, when it comes to a meditation practice or anything somebody is really serious about, if you don't commit to doing it every day, you won't, it won't last. It just won't last, right? It will, it will stop. So, uh, what, what dailiness does, the whole idea of dailiness is you take the decision away. Okay, so like for me, I never have to think to myself, am I going to meditate today? Well, I know I'm going to meditate today. Am I going to play harmonica today? I'm learning harmonica. So am I going to learn, har am I going to play harmonica today? Yes, absolutely. There's no chance that I won't practice today. Right, and because of that, I've only been playing three years. I could go on stage and play this thing. I mean, I'm really good at it already, right? Because I've been playing every single day. So, so to anyone who gets really sick and tired of the cycle of starting some disciplinary act and then stopping, and starting and stopping, writing is another one. Mm -hmm. People that want to write a book. And if you read books about writers, they all say the same thing. You gotta write every day, that's all. It's a very simple formula. It's not complicated. You just never skip a day. And you, you will write a book. So, yes, I have a book called Dailiness. It's short. Anybody listening to this that is in, it, it, this book is for people who wish they did more meditation than they do now. Mm -hmm. Either you already did some and you stopped or you've never done it before and you wanna start. And, and it's called dailiness. The subtitle is How to Sustain a Meditation Practice. Okay, now in the book I use the word, I, I explain that I use the word sustain three different ways. Sustain means maintain, like do it every day, how to keep it doing. And so like in the book I have stuff like all the obstacles that make people stop, because I've coached this. Going on vacation, getting sick, getting super drunk and having a hangover. These are the things that make people skip a day, right? Then there's sustain a practice as in nourishment, right? Sustenance, how do you feed the practice with fresh material, fresh ideas, uh, community, right? And then there's the word sustain, which means withstand, to undergo, right? <laughs> because it can be hard. It can be very hard and it can be mentally hard because you'll end up rooting around deep inside your subconscious sometimes. Right, which might not, you might not like what you find there. So there are several ways that, that a meditation practice can be quote unquote sustained. And this short book called Dailiness 
is a really good book for anybody who's already meditated or has never meditated. What stands out for me in those words is that um, it's like a non-negotiable thing. You don't consider uh, whether you go to do X or to go in a practice of meditation, whatever it may be. You just go. It's like a bright line for your life. And uh, no. the second thing is not being, not relying on uh, excitement and initial uh, emphasis on the thing. Because uh -huh. you selected it as a, a, you have reasons for making it into your life that are important. So it, like anything, there are times that will be tough. And I believe pretty mm -hmm. much that that book helps with some tools to overcome those more hard times and to make it mm -hmm. sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. And be more forgiving. I mean, the, the nice thing is, it, if you let's say that you intend to meditate and read whatever half an hour a day but on on a day when you really feel like crap you know your biorhythms are low just in a funk but you still meditate for like three minutes that day that counts i just wanted to get that out there this is one of the key ideas of meditate of, of dailiness it doesn't mean that you do your your best practice ever every single day it just means that you touch it you do it. You never let one day go. And the math, the way the math works is if you never skip a day, then you can never skip a week. You can never skip a year, right? It's mathematically impossible. It's like the opposite. It's like the inverse of falling off the wagon. Like if you quit drinking or you quit doing cocaine or whatever, the objective is to never go back, right? And that's why you hear people, they quit smoking. It's like if you smoke one cigarette, you might as well go buy a carton. But if you never smoke that one cigarette, you can never go back, right? So it's, it's a powerful concept of, of consistency. So good. So to end this, Tommy, uh, let me pose you a final question that I like to, okay. end, to ask all participants. What would be for you the number one ingredient for efficiently work sport? Well, you might have gathered this by now. I'm kind of big on meditation. <laughs> I do think that kind of helps everything. Uh, but it, it really helps with efficiency. I think of efficiency as like, how can you do things in a way that's like a little bit better than before, you know, uses less time. Being aware of what you're really trying to improve on now so that that becomes second nature, right? So if you know you're you're working on... I don't know, keeping your eye on the ball <laughs> or something like that, right? And you're practicing that. Uh, boy, this is a tough question. I, I, I mean, I love efficiency in, in, in everything, but I can't think of one particular thing. Meditation as a global thing. Well, I mean, that is my answer. That really is my answer to pretty much improve. Any kind of improvement is going to be improved with a meditation practice. I hope that our conversation uh, instilled the curiosity, at least in the listeners, to be more open to that training and be more sensitized to the benefits of it. And I can touch on any other aspects, technical, strategical, uh, physical. Yeah. So 
let's do another thing for our listeners. Maybe we okay. can raffle two ebooks of yours of dailiness. Sure. We can go with that. So which one with oh, the dailiness one? Yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, that would be good because you said yeah, because that, that's a, there's nothing about poker in there. In other words, anyone can read that one. Yeah. Okay, good. Sure. All right. So thank you very much for participating and joining in. You're welcome. Thanks for asking me on. Thank you. Hey, you, athlete, student, or worker of some kind. We want to know real cases. So tell us, from what you've heard, what have you been missing out? What is one idea that popped into your mind while listening? Feel free to share in the comments so we can assist you further. See ya! Thank you for listening to this EWS interview. To see more, go to ewsport.eu. If you want to open up a discussion about some topic address, reach out by commenting below or leave a message at ewsport.eu. Hope you enjoyed. See you on the next one.